So we come to the second Bible reading, um, and this is from John chapter 3, verse 22 to 36. So you can find it on the Pew Bible on page 1112, or you can follow along on the screen. John chapter 3, verse 22. After this, Jesus and his disciples went out into the Judean countryside, where he spent some time with them and baptised. Now John also was baptising at Anon near Salem because there was plenty of water and people were constantly coming to be baptised. This was before John was put in prison. An argument developed between some of John's disciples and a certain Jew over the matter of ceremonial washing. They came to John and said to him, Rabbi, that man who was with you on the other side of the Jordan, the one you testified about, well, he is baptising and everyone is going to him. To this John replied, A man can receive only what is given him from heaven. You yourselves can testify that I said, I am not the Christ, but am sent ahead of him. The bride belongs to the bridegroom. The friend who attends the bridegroom waits and listens for him and is full of joy when he hears the bridegroom's voice. That joy is mine and is now complete. He must become greater, I must become less. The one who comes from above is above all. The one who is from the earth belongs to the earth and speaks as one from the earth. The one who comes from heaven is above all. He testifies to what he has seen and heard, but no one accepts his testimony. The man who has accepted it has certified that God is truthful. For the one whom God has sent speaks the words of God, for God gives the spirit without limit. The father loves the son and has placed everything in his hands. Whoever believes in the son has eternal life, but whoever rejects the son will not see life, for God's wrath remains on him. Thank you, Rachel, and thank you, Margaret, for praying and leading us in prayer. Our friends, if you do have your newsletter, we have um, the outline on the inside. Hopefully that will help you follow along. And do keep your Bibles open to John chapter 3. We'll be focusing on uh, mostly the uh, first part of John chapter 3 in our first reading. Now hopefully you've been finding it helpful if you have been reading ahead every week. Uh, You read ahead and you do your own thinking before the Lord. And hopefully on Sunday when you do come, you come with more and greater expectations on on what the passage is about. So in preparation for next week, you can read John 4. But as we reflect on these, these are wonderful words, really exciting words, what we read in this part of the gospel. And so let's pray to God that God will be working in our hearts. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for the wonderful promise we see in this passage. We pray that we will all respond the right way, respond in faith and belief and obedience to Christ, the one who was given to us. We pray, Lord, that you'll be working in all our hearts by your Spirit. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. I'd like to begin this morning with a question, and that is, if it was at all possible for you to live your life again, to start from scratch, to start from the very beginning, would you do it? You know how people say, if only I had my time again. Would you take it if you were given that chance, a fresh start, a new beginning? I'm sure for all of us, we have happy moments in life, and if we were to start again, we want those exact happy moments. Uh, For myself, uh, getting married to Yvonne, I, I like to marry the same woman. Hopefully Yvonne feels the same way about me. I don't know about that. I want that again. Having kids, having the same three, I want that again. And I'm sure you'll have many happy experiences that you want to repeat it. But then what about the embarrassing moments in life, the ones that made you so red in the face? What about the silly mistakes you did, unintended but silly? 
What about the unintended hurts you've caused? Or the damaging slip-ups? Or the heartbreaking experience? Well, you want that repeated. What about the thing that weighs so heavily on your heart and continues to weigh so heavily on your heart? Wouldn't you want a fresh start from all of that? And so if it were at all possible to start again, to begin again so that all the embarrassing moments, all the hurts, the shame, the guilt, the things that weigh so heavily on the heart, all gone, will you take it? Would you start again? You see, for everyone who becomes a Christian, for everyone who becomes a disciple of Jesus, that is the type of experience you get. It is a new beginning. It is a fresh start with God. And today, if you are not yet a disciple of Jesus, you've been coming for a while or you're just a recent uh, visitor to us, if you are not yet a child of God, well, in our passage today, Jesus extends a personal invitation to you to make a fresh start with God. Because what we find is that unless you do, you will have no part in the kingdom of God. You see, that was the exact challenge Jesus gave the man we'll meet in this passage. And it's the challenge that has been ringing from generation to generation from the time of Jesus. And now it comes to us, a challenge to us, but also an invitation. So let's have a look. Verse 1. We read, Now there was a man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus, a member of the Jewish ruling council. Now what that meant was that this was a prominent man in society, a very important man. Think, a member of parliament combined with a professor of the Bible college, combined with a judge. So this guy was intelligent, respectable, very religious. But then notice what he did. Look at verse 2. He came to Jesus at night. Now, why do you think that was the case? Well, obviously, he did not want to be seen to be talking to Jesus. He was a very important man, socially respected, recognized by society, acknowledged by them. Jesus, at this point, was still a nobody. And so coming at night, perhaps he had something to hide, did not want to be exposed, did not want to destroy his reputation. And so he came at night to Jesus. And what did he say? Well, have a look. He comes along. And he comes along to Jesus and he gives his assessment of who he thinks Jesus is. And if you look at it, it's somewhat patronizing. Look at verse 2. He said, Rabbi, we know you are a teacher who has come from God, for no one could perform the miraculous signs you are doing if God were not with him. He's coming to Jesus and he's saying, We know who you are, Jesus. We've worked you out. Well, we, we know exactly where you come from. It's pretty obvious. Now, how did Jesus respond to that? Well, he was making a right claim, wasn't he? So Jesus could have said, well, you're absolutely right. I am from God. But that's not what Jesus said here. Now, why was that? Well, remember from our passage last week, Jesus knows what's in a man. He knows exactly what's in the heart of man. He can see right through him and will not be fooled by his patronizing. And so he comes to Jesus. He gives his assessment of Jesus. We know who you are. But Jesus now turns it around and gives his own assessment of Nicodemus. In a sense, Jesus is saying, you have no clue. 
You have no clue what you're talking about. We know what is this. You have no clue. Look at verse 3. I tell you the truth. No one, not even you, a professor of religion, not even you, can see the kingdom of God unless he is born again. I mean, Jesus is making a huge claim here. Unless you are born again, you will have no part in the things of God. Now, why is that so shocking? Well, remember who Jesus is speaking to here. This was not just some guy from the streets. This was someone who would know the things about God. If anyone was religious enough in society, if anyone was moral enough, good enough, respected enough, important enough, it was him. If anyone was to have a part in the kingdom of God, it was him. But Jesus says, that doesn't matter. It doesn't matter that you're a professor of religion. It doesn't matter if you're a decent man. You have to be born again, even you. And so you see, Jesus gave his assessment of him. And so that would have just rocked his world, turned his world upside down. And if we think about the claims of Jesus here, it should also rock our world. Because how many people today work, uh, walk through life and live life thinking, I'm a decent person. I'll be okay in the end. I do good things. I respect others. I treat people fairly. I am a moral person. In fact, I'm a very decent person. I, I help the poor. I even manage my family very well. And so I should be okay in God's eyes. In the end, God should just accept me. In fact, God should welcome me with open arms. I mean, that's how many people think today. I'm a decent person and God should be satisfied with that. Now, what did Jesus say here? doesn't matter. You think you're decent enough? You think you're good enough? You think you're moral enough? You have to be born again if you are to have any part in the kingdom of God. If Nicodemus here, a righteous man, a very decent man, a well-respected man had to be born again, what chance do we have? And so we move on and perhaps a little dumbfounded, he, he responds. Look at verse 4 now. Well, how can a man be born when he is old? Surely he cannot enter a second time into his mother's womb to be born? Now, now remember, this was an intelligent man. Obviously, he was aware that Jesus was not speaking literally. I mean, if you think about it, for any of us to, to think about this point, to be born again, how is that possible? I'm twice the weight of my mum. There is no way that's going to happen. And so we can see this is not a literal thing. So what did Jesus mean? Well, now Jesus makes it as clear as possible. If you want to have any part at all in the kingdom of God, if you want to have any part of heaven, if you want eternal life, if you want heaven to be your home, if you want to belong to the family of God, you have to be born again. It's not a matter of just self-improvement in life and you'll be okay with God. It's not a matter of making a resolution, I think I'll be okay with God. I mean, who can keep their resolutions, New Year's resolutions? No one. Oh, I, in fact, I only know one person who can. It's not turning over a new leaf in life. This is a brand new tree, Jesus is asking. It's not a renovation of a room in a home. It's a complete demolition and a rebuild. You have to be born again. A complete fresh start. 
begin again with God. There is no other way, a complete rebirth. And what Jesus does now is, he should have known this. Nicodemus, he's a professor of religion. You should know this. You know your scriptures. And so Jesus picks up on what they should have expected from the Old Testament, what God promised he would do for his people one day. And so we read in Ezekiel 36, it was expected to be born of water and spirit. We get that from here. In Ezekiel we read, I will sprinkle clean water on you and you will be clean. I'll cleanse you from all your impurities and from all your idols. I'll give you a new heart and put a new spirit in you. I'll remove your heart of stone and give you a heart of flesh. I'll put my spirit in you and move you to follow my decrees. How is anyone going to make a change of heart from a stubborn, rock-solid heart to a heart of flesh? It takes the work of God. He's cleansing the water, his spirit. And so to be born of water and spirit is to speak of the one and same event, to be born again. Now, who gives this life? Who does this work? How can anyone be born again? Well, Jesus makes very clear. If you want to be born again, it is the work of God alone. It is not our work. It is not anyone's work. It is God's work who gives birth. And even if you think about it on a human level, we can't give birth to ourselves. I mean, when we were born, when all of us was born one day, however long that, that was, we had no choice in that. It's not like, you know, before we were conceived, we somehow got into the minds of our parents and, and said to them, you better give birth to me. And I want to be born in a nice hospital. Of course, that did not happen. We had no choice in our own birth. And so here Jesus is making the point to be born again, to have a part in the kingdom of God. It is the work of God, not done by us, but done by God for us. And that's how anyone becomes a Christian in the first place. And so Jesus now says, he explains it, verses 6 to 8. Flesh gives birth to flesh, but the spirit gives birth to spirit. You should not be surprised at my saying you must be born again. The wind blows wherever it pleases. You hear its sound, but you cannot tell where it comes from or where it is going. So it is with everyone born of the Spirit. And so how do you know you are born again? How can you be certain that you are born again, that you have a place in the kingdom of God? Well, Jesus says, it's just like how the wind blows. When the wind blows you see its effects. You can't see the wind itself, but you see its effects. The trees are swaying, the leaves are falling, you feel it on your skin in your hair. You can't see the wind, but you see what it does. And so it is with those born of the Spirit. And just think back to your own experience or the experience of other Christians you know. Just think about it. How is it at all possible that a staunch atheist, God does not exist. A man like that could come to one day give his life to Jesus and to write books defending his faith. How do you make such a transformation? How do you change from not believing God to living for God? Well, that's the story of C.S. Lewis and, and many, many others, from atheism to God. How is that at all possible? Well, the Spirit has blown or how is it at all possible that a Jewish boy who lived for most of his life as an agnostic 
could later in his 40s come to call the joy of his joys when he prayed for the first time to God and gave his life to Jesus. I mean, how is that all possible? A, a Jewish person worshipping Jesus? Well, that's the story of the American writer, Andrew Claven. How is it possible? The spirit has blown. Or how is it at all possible that, that a boy from Colombia who witnessed his mother killed, he grew up with anger on his heart. He was seeking revenge and retribution, wanting to get back the murder of his mother. But yet to one day come to the point where he found it in his heart to even forgive his mother's murderer. I mean, how is that at all possible? Well, that's the story of this man from Colombia. How? The spirit has blown. You can't see the spirit, but you see the effects of the spirit. Or how is it at all possible? And we may know this either of ourselves or those around us. We know those who are once so greedy, so selfish, but yet to turn around and be so, so generous. Those who are so vengeful in their life, seeking revenge, retribution, but yet to turn around and be so forgiving. Those who are so hateful, harbour bitterness and anger all the time, but yet to turn around and become so loving. Those who hate God, but then to turn around and to love God. How is that possible? Well, the Spirit has blown. You can't see the wind, but you see its effects. And that's how it was for those of us who are Christians. That was our experience. The Spirit has worked. The Spirit has, has blown and we are born again. You see, being a born-again Christian, I remember growing up a few decades ago, that was a dirty word. If you're a born-again Christian, you're, you're a group of strange Christians. But, but that's not the point at all. If you're a born-again, then you're Christian. If you're Christian, then you're born again. There's no difference. And so what it means then is that for those who are born again, who are believers of Christ, what it means then is that, I learned this from David Cook, our camp speaker last year, he said, all Christians are those who have two birthdays, a physical one and a spiritual one. If you're not a Christian, you only have one birthday. But for those who are Christians, born of our parents and born of God. And so Jesus here is making a point. Nicodemus, you're a professor of religion. You're a judge. You're, you're a ruling member of the council. Well, it doesn't matter. You have no idea. You, you think you know who I am? You have to be born again. And unless you are born again, you have no part in the kingdom of God. You see, it's a necessary birth. But what we find here is that it is also a necessary belief. How do you know that you are born again? That the Spirit has worked? Well, it comes down to, do you believe? It is connected. And that was what Jesus goes on to make clear to Nicodemus. I mean, don't you know Nicodemus? You're a teacher of religion and you do not know this. Now remember how Nicodemus came to Jesus at the beginning of the night and he said, We know. We know you. We know who you are. We've worked you out. Well, Jesus now turns it around. And Jesus now expresses, well, let me tell you what we know. He trumps him. Look at verse 11. I tell you the truth. We speak of what we know. You came thinking you, you know what you're speaking of. Well, we speak of what we know and we testify to what we have seen. 
but still you people do not believe our testimony. And you see, the point is clear here. The only one who can tell us about heavenly things is the one who comes from heaven. It just makes sense. How can we know anything about heaven? We might dream, we might guess, we might presume, we might imagine, but that's just dreaming and imagination. How can we ever know? Only if one from heaven comes and tells us. It's just like anything else in life. How do you know what my study, my office at home looks like? Well, you have no clue unless I share it with you. It is messy. That's what it's like. You have no clue unless I tell you. Well, how do we know anything about heaven? Well, unless one from heaven comes down and tells us. And so verse 13. No one has ever gone into heaven except the one who came from heaven, the Son of Man. You want to know about heavenly things. You want to know about the kingdom of God. You want to know eternal life. You want to belong to God in his family. Then you have to listen to me. Let me tell you what we know, Jesus says. And what is it that Nicodemus must know? What is it that we must continue to know? Well, to be born again is seen in believing in Jesus. How do you know you're born again? You believe in Jesus. If you believe in Jesus, you're born again. That's the effect of the Spirit. It is a necessary birth and it is a necessary belief. And what is it exactly you need to believe about Jesus? Jesus sharpens the content of what we must believe. It's not just to believe that he's, he was a man. Anyone can believe that. But it is to believe that he's the God-man who came to die. I mean, we've been seeing this for the last few weeks already, isn't it? It's a repeating theme in the Gospel of John. It is focused on his death, the crucifixion. In chapter 1, Jesus was called, There is the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. What does that mean? Well, he'll die as a sacrifice. John chapter 2, remember, the mother of Jesus said to him, there's no more wine. Jesus responded, my hour has not yet come. What was on his mind? It was his death, his crucifixion, his glorification. And then last week, what did Jesus say? I am the temple of God. Destroy this temple and I'll raise it in three days. Again, Jesus is thinking about his death. And so the focus of being born again, the focus of all Christian faith, is centered on Christ and him crucified. He came as the Lamb of God to die in our place. He came to die on the cross so that he might bear the curse we deserve. He came to be punished so that we won't be punished. And then Jesus, he goes on to explain that's why he came. Look at verses 14 and 15. Jesus now says, Just as Moses lifted up the snake in the desert, so the Son of Man must be lifted up, that everyone who believes in him may have eternal life. Now what's Jesus alluding to there? Well, he's alluding to the time when the people of God were in the desert during the time of Moses. The people of God, they were grumbling, and so God sent them snakes that poisoned many of them and killed many of them, and so they pleaded to God, take these snakes away, save us from these snakes. And so God said to Moses, well, put a snake on a pole. If they look at it, they will live. Now, do you know that story from Numbers 21? It's a very strange story. It baffled me for years. But what God was getting the people to recognize 
was that as they looked at the snake on the pole, they are remembering and believing, well, that's the curse I, be I deserve. I should have been dead. But now I live because of that. And so in the same way, the Son of Man, Jesus Christ here, he's saying, he's speaking of when he'll be lifted up as well, but on the cross. So that whoever looks at Jesus on the cross, we should be looking and remembering and believing, well, he's getting what I deserve. I should have been dead. That was what I deserve. Jesus is there instead of me. That's how anyone makes a fresh start with God. That's how anyone can have their sins paid for, their, their shame removed, their guilt wiped out because of Jesus on the cross. He was cut off from God so that we will never have to. And belief means we surrender ourselves to him. And now in this gospel, perhaps... What we find here is the greatest summary of the good news of the Bible, the greatest summary of the gospel. And I suspect many of us would have memorized this. Why did Jesus come in the first place? Verse 16. For God, which means it is God's initiative, God's kindness, God's grace. For God so loved the world. Now, that's not a world that is lovable. It's, it's a world in complete rebellion and utter wickedness. For God so loved this kind of world that he gave his one and only son. What greater treasure can you give anyone than your own child? That he gave his one and only son that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. That is the key difference between having one birthday and two birthdays. If you believe in God's only Son, you believe in this, your future is secure. You escape God's condemnation. Look at verse 18 now. Whoever believes in Him is not condemned, but whoever does not believe stands condemned already, because he has not believed in the name of God's one and only Son. Now, at this point, some of us might be thinking, well, that's good to hear and to know. I've heard the invitation. But what if I choose not to believe anyway? Some of us might be thinking that. What if I choose? I don't want to believe this. Well, it is your choice. But you have to choose that in an informed way. Because if God went to the extent of, I am giving my son to you, and I would even watch my son beaten and whipped and tortured and crucified and killed for you. I sent him for you. And if I one day turn to God and I say, well, I don't believe that. I, I thought it was unnecessary. I think, God, you just made a mistake. Do you know what the response will be? Well, you're on your own. And even God cannot help you then. Because you've rejected the only hope, help there is. You see, if there was another way for humans, for sinful human beings to be with God forever, if there was another way to have a fresh start with God, you have to see that God's far more powerful than we are, far wiser than we are, and he would have thought of it first. But there isn't. And the only way cost him his son. And he did so. Why? Out of love. For God so loved the world. 
And so what do you do when you hear this invitation? It's been ringing from generation to generation, from the time of Jesus to now. What do you do? Well, you see, just like it was for Nicodemus, you have to make a choice. There is a necessary response. And it's summed up for us, verses 19 and 20. This is now the verdict. Look at verse 19. This is the verdict. You've got no more excuses now. This is the verdict. Light has come into the world, but men love darkness instead of light because their deeds were evil. Everyone who does evil hates the light and will not come into the light for fear that his deeds will be exposed. You see, it is a choice. A choice for Nicodemus and a choice for us. Do you choose to stay in the darkness or do you choose to move into the light? Do you choose to reject or do you choose to believe? Because unless you are born again, you have no fellowship, no communion with God Almighty. You don't have eternal life. What will you choose? It's pretty clear and it is black and white. And so if you were offered that you can start from scratch again, have a fresh start with God, be born again, would you take it? I mean, this is the offer that remains true for us today. Move from darkness to light, from death to life, from one birthday to two birthdays. Unless you are born again, you will not see the kingdom of God. And so for us who are already Christians, and that's perhaps most of us here, what we need to hear from this is that if this is true and we believe that it is true, then we've already made the greatest, most important change already in life. We've already made the most necessary change in life, and that is we are born again. And so what that means for those of us who are Christians is that we can rest secure. We need to hear the words of comfort. We already have the Spirit of God. The Spirit of God has already blown on our life. And part of my task and part of the great privilege of being a pastor is to remind us who are believers, those of us who are Christians, you who are fellow brothers and sisters in Christ of just that. And that is this. You are loved by God your Father. No one will love you more than that. You are loved by the God of the universe. In fact, you are a child of the God of the universe. No one will love you like that. No one can take that away. And so you can live your life whatever it looks like at this point. You can live your life resting in the wonderful security and the comfort and the peace and the love of God. That is a wonderful privilege to be reminded of that. And isn't that how you can persevere and endure and live day by day? And so for us who are Christians, we take wonderful comfort in this. We've made the most important, most necessary change already. There will never be another decision in our life bigger than that. But now for those of us who are not yet Christians, then this is not a matter of just learning more information, getting more things into our minds. This is not a matter of just self-improvement. I'll improve a bit more tomorrow. This is not a matter of turning over a new leaf. No, this is a complete rebirth, a complete fresh start with God to start again. And it means my past completely dealt with, 
my past, my guilt, my shame, completely dealt with by Jesus. My future, absolutely assured to be with Jesus. And my present, well, it means that you can rest in the love of God as his child. And so if you remember that verse, for God so loved you. Put your name there. For God so loved you, Pete, that God gave his son to you. For God so loved you, Bob, that God gave his son for you. It is personal. So that if you believe in him, you will not perish, but you will have eternal life. Will you believe? Will you be born again? Now, what I'm going to do now is I'm going to give you an opportunity for those of you who are not yet Christians, an opportunity to respond to God and to express, I do want this fresh start with you. I want my past completely dealt with. I want my future secure in Christ. I want to have heaven as my home. I do want this. I'm going to give you an opportunity to do that, to express your faith, your belief in Jesus. It's how anyone begins their journey. It's how anyone gets the second birthday. And it can be today for you. And so I'm going to invite you to repeat a prayer after me and to repeat it in your heart of hearts sincerely before God. And it expresses those truths. And in this prayer, we just say three things. We say, sorry, thank you, and please. And if you say this sincerely before God, you're recognizing that, sorry, I, I have not lived the way I should be. I have rebelled, I have sinned, I have caused much shame and hurt. Uh, I'm sorry for those things. But thank you for Jesus, who went to the cross for me, who cleanses me, he, who bore the judgment for me. And please, please help me now to live with Jesus as my Lord. It, it's a simple prayer. But if it is confessed sincerely in our heart of hearts before God, that is to be born again. That is to have the second birthday. And so if you are ready for that, if you have thought about Christianity for a while and you are ready for that, well, let me invite you to do that. And if the Spirit is blowing, you will believe. So let's pray. Dear God, Sorry for living a life where I've rejected you, rebelled against you, turned away from you. I'm sorry for all my mistakes, regrets and shame, and the hurt I've caused. But thank you for Jesus Christ, your Son, who was lifted up on the cross and died for me so that my sins can be forgiven, so that I can become your child, so that I can have eternal life. And so please help me now to live a life with Jesus as my Lord. In Jesus' name, Amen.